Reshma, I'm so excited about our next segment. I'm Let's so excited. Our, me too. Let's welcome our next two guests joining us to talk politics. First off, we have Cyan Lewis. Cyan Lewis is a seasoned data science, narrative strategy, and research leader. She leads the research practice AB, conducting narrative, inoculation, and persuasion research. She's a 2021 Society of Women Engineers Spark Awardee, among tons of other awards. And she lives in Washington, D.C. with her partner and two children. And we also have Kristen Saltis-Anderson, who, with Marshall Plan for Moms, actually worked on a bipartisan poll last year to better understand where Americans were on childcare and other issues related to family policy. Kristen's a pollster, co-founder of the firm Echelon Insights. She's a CNN contributor and a serious XM host, and also a brand new mom. Please welcome both guests. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate you, you joining us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So I have been looking forward to this conversation because I feel like it's one of those issues where everyone should agree, but we don't. So we had a chance to pass major legislation during the pandemic, but it didn't happen. And almost every parent I know would agree that like we have to have a better, like more accessible childcare system, you know, in our country. And even if you don't have kids, right? Investing in childcare matters. It's it should be a no-brainer, but it's not. And so I think like in any issue, I love having people who have different opinions on both sides because I think bringing us together to have this conversation is how we're going to like move closer to, you know, a solution. So I'm so excited to have two women that I respect and admire greatly. So it's so excited to have you here. Let's talk, let's jump right in. Let's talk Build Back Better, right? It's just exhausting that we were so close and yet didn't follow through. It marked the first time care was seen on a critical infrastructure national level. The conversation was there. It was, I felt like getting the same equivalent treatment as roads and bridges and tunnels and the things that Americans look to and go, yes, we need this. We need this to have a functioning economy and a society that works. Why couldn't we just all agree? <laughs> like, why couldn't we get it through? Kristen? <laughs> yeah. I'll start with the easy question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, on, on the Republican side, it was very unlikely that you were going to get a lot of Republican votes for pretty much anything that was was spending money. So it's it's not just about childcare itself. Um, you know, there were things like roads and bridges, which did pick up a handful of Republican votes here and there. But for the broader sort of build back better bill, the likelihood that you were going to get enough Republican votes to get something across the finish line requiring them was pretty low. Um, I'm less read in on the politics within the Democratic Party about why, say, climate made it in, but childcare didn't in the end. You know, this is perhaps psychoanalyzing of, of Senator Joe Manchin, uh, which is not a thing I'm an expert in. Um, but I, I do know that from Republicans' perspectives, um, their views of how to address the childcare issue sort of differ from, from Democrats in a fundamental enough way that you weren't likely to get Republican votes on that bill. Now, what is still interesting about childcare as a political issue is that uh, versus, say, something like climate, that a lot of people 
do say is a, a big issue that needs to be addressed is that there's a pretty big partisan gap on the question of is climate change something we should be doing something about? Is it something that government should be getting engaged in? Um, Republicans and Democrats don't necessarily see eye to eye on that. But on the question of do we need to do something about the broken childcare system in the United States and the fact that it's so expensive and the fact that it's so hard to access – there actually is pretty bipartisan consensus around the existence of the problem. And that makes it unique from a lot of problems that get talked about in Washington. The challenge, however, as I mentioned, is the, well, then what do you do about it? And that's where the two parties diverge pretty greatly. Well, sure. Um, getting back to what happened with the bill, you know, child care was put in, put in there with um, inflation-reducing measures. And to couch child care within the context of pandemic, within the context of major economic upheaval, within the context of all the things that are happening in America, and to not really talk about the narrative around childcare as truly um, an economic matter, as truly a matter that keeps women in the labor force number, as truly a matter that reduces the burdens on family, as truly a bread and butter issue, really is one of the problems that happened with the bill and why it didn't stay in there. You know, you would have folks like Joe Manchin saying, listen, we all love children. Who doesn't love children, right? But we're talking about reducing inflation here. And so when you talk about it in those terms, childcare, unfortunately, was left on the chopping block. Now, everything that Kristen just said about this being an important matter, about it needing to be funded is so, so very important. And yes, we very much differ on that it needs to be funded. But really, what as a person who studies narratives, who study how things are told, how the story is told, and how ultimately is driven to political action. When talking about the story of childhood, it's often couched in terms of, well, this is a moral issue, right? Not as an economic issue, not as a major issue in our labor force, not as a major issue in our GDP, not as a major driving force in how this country operates, and as a major force in how this country does not operate on the global scale, because our country is ranked, well, 32 out of 40 of industrialized nations when it comes to this thing. So overall, childcare is an economic factor and needs to be spoken about that way in order to get the funding that we need for it. That's, it's a great, I mean, it's a great point. I think that's what we talk about. It is an economic factor. It is most women in our country work to work. And I think, Kristen, you would probably agree with that, right? That it is. An, and, and, and I guess my question is, is two things is if we were to present it from a narrative perspective as an economic issue, like Republicans want the economy moving, they want innovation, they want, you know, they want full participation. I would think that that argument would work. And then the second thing I want to ask you, one of the things I've heard a lot of Republicans talk about after the Dobbs decision is, well, if we're going to have, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to move in that direction, we got to support, we got to start thinking about women and supporting women. And it almost seems like post-Dobbs, since we're going to be in this, from my perspective, you know, forcing birth for the next decade, you know, it seems as though there's an opportunity to get more partisan support on childcare and paid leave and other things that are going to support women and support children and support families. Do you think that's the case? I, I definitely think in a post-Dobbs world, the pressure has been ratcheted up big time on Republicans who may very sincerely hold views that are pro-life and not want to budge off of those, but are now getting asked the question even more so, okay, if if that's where you stand on this, then what are you doing for 
moms, what are you doing for women when they have children? How are you making sure there are those supports there? If you're going to talk this big game, you have to walk the walk. So I think as that pressure ratchets up, and I think especially as we're heading into the midterms and Republicans are feeling uh, the political pressure from the sort of backlash and reverberations from Dobbs, um, they are aware that they're going to have to have a better answer to those questions. A logistical challenge on the Republican side at the moment frankly, comes down to a really horrible tragedy that happened just a couple of weeks ago where Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, she was the sort of main Republican in Congress, or at least on the House side, um, advocating for doing something about these issues, putting forward ideas that, again, Democrats are probably not going to embrace or support, but it, it's it's something. It's, you know, let's give employers more tax credits so they can offer child care and paid leave benefits, those things. Um, she passed away in a car accident. And so now there's I think Republicans in Congress have lost one of their biggest champions when it comes to trying to think creatively and, and, and focus on these issues. And so if Republicans win the House, there are questions about, you know, who will be in charge of different things. But I think this economic question of, OK, if you don't like what's been put forward for how to solve this problem, what would you do about it is only going to rise, especially now that Republicans sort of know Okay, you're losing college-educated women. You know, women have come out of the pandemic having faced enormous setbacks, and a lot of people have had their eyes open. What are you doing to address this new reality? I think that pressure will be there. That's interesting. It's 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 very interesting to think about that from a pressure perspective. Do you think over time in the midterms it's going to be the right moment for this to have happened? I think. Do you think that there's a long lead time? I guess is what I'm asking in regards to yes. Dobbs' decision kind of forces the issue even more. It, it forces the issue to like be faced from our political parties. What do you think? It, like, do you think that this is a couple years off? Do you think this is decades off? You know, we were in our last segment of the conversation talking about how there hasn't really been major change to a care infrastructure perspective since World War II. If you think about it, right? Like, we really haven't passed major legislation in terms of you know you could you could argue child tax credit, which is now revoked was that moment in time where you saw child poverty you know, cut in half. Do you think that this is an immediacy issue or do you think that there's enough time and a frame of time that we could actually address it over time to the Republicans and the Democratic Party? Can I add to Tim's question too? And, you know, Bessie Stevenson, who was with us on our last, said the, the two things that we needed, the two things that push policy are a crisis and squeaky wheels, right? And so what do you think about that too? Because uh, arguably we have the right crisis to get something done, but maybe the wheels weren't squeaky enough. Yeah, well, I, I think the the challenge with the crisis around childcare that emerged out of COVID is that it was not a crisis happening in a vacuum. It was a crisis within a crisis. It was everything was was sort of on fire at that moment. And so, how do you make that one piece, which we know Reshma from our our survey data, was a like house on fire level challenge for so many women? still was, you know, in the context of small businesses shutting down and what have you, and that there's always just some other crisis that has popped up. I mean, for me, I think inflation is an issue that Republicans are talking about nonstop headed into this midterm. It's because in polls, we're showing it coming in as a top issue. Um, and for many voters, they're just finding that the cost of living is too expensive. But for parents, the cost of childcare is a huge piece of that. Um, and, you know, in, in it, how do you create a system where, on the one hand, childcare workers who are often very underpaid, how do you get them better wages 
But then that also means someone's got to pay those higher wages. So is that the parents? Well, then that's driving up their costs. Like, how do you create a, a system that balances all of those competing needs? I think in the midst of coming out of the COVID-19 crisis, there's a lot of money thrown at things, but not a lot of thought about, well, how do we change systems so that like sustainably we can do things better? And I think childcare is just one, uh, one example of a victim of that. So... I feel hopeful, right? I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. And I think that we're really headed to several crises in this country, but one of them is an extreme labor shortage. Like we have a straight up worker shortage, and that gap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if we, if we have families, 35% of whom their, their day-to-day work is disrupted because of childcare, right? We have uh Increased births, we think, coming up as a result of dogs. If we have uh, folks straight up demanding higher wages, right? And if we have folks um, who are doing what we call quiet quitting, which is not really, by the way, right? Um, and we have a new view on how people should be treated at work among uh, millennial and uh, younger folks, especially Gen Z folks, right? Um, wanting to get have better treatment and such, right? All of these things, along with ridiculous stagnant wages since the 70s, are leading to this labor shortage. And I think out of all the things, out of all the crises that we have, anywhere in this country, that that is a thing that actually might catalyze childcare to be treated as an important issue. And when something's treated importantly, that means there's actual budget, budget line item for it. It's actually a thing that's paid for in this country. In order to ensure that this country operates, we can't keep going the way we're going. And the labor shortage that we have is growing year by year, and the gap is getting so huge that literally something has to be done. Literally, something has to be done. And so now is the time over the next couple of years, no matter who's in the administration, no matter who's in office, to truly work on closing the labor gap, closing the worker shortage. One of the easiest ways to do that, any economist will tell you, no matter who, what kind of economist, they will tell you in report after report, is to make childcare more affordable. Right? If you just meet childcare, the minimum amount of childcare goals right now, a million women get to go back to work. Just like that. Right? Like that. And that, folks being able to go back to work, folks being able to go back to work to contribute to the economy is really what we need to get this country back on track. So I think, I think, because I'm an optimist, I think. <laughs> In the next few years, because of the huge pressures in the labor market, that we will see child care funding, that we will see the public investment that we need in order to meet America's needs. Yeah, Yeah, Stan, I think that's such an important point. Go ahead, Tim. No, no, please, please, please. I was just going to say, we hear it at care.com. So what we hear from caregivers is, why should I break my back, so to speak, taking care of other people's children for subpar wages when I can go across the street to a local super center or somewhere else, make 18 bucks an hour and have a set schedule and not have all of the stress and the demand, right? You know, we, we hear it. We're like, look, this is a labor market today, right? I wonder if inflation's going to actually, if, if the temperature comes off of inflation, the labor market cools a little bit, what is going to end up happening? But we've seen it in droves. We've seen daycare centers losing employees. They're not getting paid. They don't have the benefits. We've seen caregivers leave the marketplace because there's so many other opportunities available. I share in that hope. I share in that hope that we can actually increase 
wages and benefits for this community. I go back to Kristen's point and I go, I think this is where part of the gap starts to emerge between Republican and Democrats is, but who pays for it, right? Is it private sector? Is it tax benefits to individual families? Like that is where I would love to hear a little more on how do we actually afford this as a society? Because someone's paying for it. Someone, someone somewhere, it's either the family who can't take on more with inflation today or another another segment. So we'd love to hear what thoughts are yeah. there. Well, I, I think there's both the question of who pays for it and what are we counting as childcare. Mm. So the who pays for it question is one that that is like a tale as old as time, right? <laughs> is it that the government just is it that the government provides the childcare? Is it that the government funds childcare that already exists? Is it that government gives people give gives parents a check? Is it you know there's there's a whole bunch of ways you can sort of push out the money. And then there's the other question of well, what does the money go for? And then you wind up in that sort of thorny, the thicket you find around issues like school choice and K-12 education, mm. right? Um, so for some parents, for them, their ideal childcare situation might be an in-home caregiver or a nanny share or something like that. Um, but for someone else, it may be taking their child to a daycare center where they're with a couple other children and they're getting a different sort of social experience and there are a couple of teachers or caregivers. And families are going to have different preferences on that front. Uh, and is the program you are creating flexible enough to make space for a daycare center that is publicly run or a daycare center that is privately run or the preschool at the Methodist church down the street or the nanny share running out of your neighbor's house? Is there a way to have that flexibility available to parents or is it necessary in crafting a policy to have just a, a pretty narrow definition of what can count and what can get funded? That's where I think you'd also see some friction open up, at least with regards to where Republicans might object. Yeah. Completely agree. I yeah. agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, so, you know, as a card-carrying liberal, I have to say, I'd be remiss if I do not say that the expansion of the child care and development block grant is what is needed here. We have this system in place already. Let us make it bigger. Let us increase the funding and then let's put a lock box on it to ensure that the funds aren't used for anything else, especially in times of crisis. I have to say that, right? I have to get that out. Um, what I, what I am frequently disappointed in is the use of the, this idea of flexibility as a way to stop that from happening. Right? There's, I am an and and inclusive person, and I think we all should be. Let us increase the size of the block grant, and let's provide the parents the flexibility that they need through subsidies, state-based subsidies, in order to get the type of childcare that works best for their families. I'm all about the end, right? Let's do it both. So, Chris, I'm going to play devil's advocate because I think there's some sentiment sometimes that conservatives have more of a patriarchal view of who should be doing the caregiving. And that part of the reason why some of this is just not supported and not getting done is because we don't want women in the workplace. What do you think about that? I certainly don't think that that's a majority view. Um, I, I don't doubt that there are strains of that thought that exist in America today. I, I'm not pushing back against that, but I don't think that that's the majority. You don't think that that's what's driver. driving the pop? Yep. 
No, I, I think what I, while I certainly think that there are, I'm sure you could find them and I'm sure it wouldn't take too much effort to find, you know, some idiot state representative somewhere who has like said something that right. is going to make my skin crawl. <laughs> um, I do think that for the most part, this is less about, uh, well, I don't think there should be childcare because women should be home providing the childcare, but rather that the logistics of how you go about providing high quality childcare at really big scale is just so complicated and runs afoul of so many different kind of ideological roadblocks that it's it's very hard to square. I mean, I I say this as somebody who is I am I'm politically right of center. I am a small business owner and I also just had a baby 3 months yeah. ago and I'm going through for the very first time figuring out how do I navigate all of that. And it would be so wonderful if it was, you know, if in the process of trying to solve the childcare question there were more resources rather than just like me on my own trying to figure out how to become a legal employer in different states and like, you know, how do you navigate all that? It is, if it's complicated for me, someone who is very fortunate and has lots of resources, oh my God, I can't imagine what it's like for, for so, so many families out there. Um, but I also understand that there's probably not just a quick fix to address some of this, because it, again, if you press on one part of the system, does it actually like create a problem somewhere else? You know, or what are the unintended consequences? So while I don't want to dismiss your concern that there are patriarchal views out there that, that may be a hurdle for some, I do think that most of the objection comes down to the like the brass tax. What are we counting as childcare? Yeah. How are we paying for it? Yeah, that kind of thing. Well, I once again in my optimistic hat. I think that we can do anything in this nation. So one of the, you know, I'm an immigrant. I am also um, a proud mom to two, two children, right? And one of the best things about this country is that we can do really hard things at scale. So our social security system, let me tell you something, as an immigrant, truly is admired all around the world. Not only because at scale, we deliver these funds to folks who need them, especially the elderly, but but also because it has been sustained for so very long. It's one of the oldest systems in the world. It is certainly one of the biggest in the system. Actually, I think it is the biggest, right? And Social Security is super complicated. When we think of it, we think about, oh, folks who retire and then they get their pay, but Social Security does a lot of other things. It provides disability benefits to folks. It, folks, it provides um, benefits to, to, to uh, survivors. It provides benefits to folks who have lost their families. It provides benefits to children who need it. It does all these other things as well, and it does it at scale. And Social Security came along at a time when folks said it couldn't be done and that it wouldn't last, and every year, like every year since I have been in this country, since I've been 15 years old, right? She's a long time. I'm an old lady. Every year, they say it's going to crumble next year. And it doesn't. It just keeps going, right? It keeps going. No one's bank is being broken by Social Security. It is a part of our budget, right? And it keeps going. There's no reason why we can't build a childcare system and skip. Why should countries like Finland put our country to shame when it comes to building an incredible system for childcare, right? I'm sure you talk about Finland a lot on this podcast, right? <laughs> 
they do it well. Sure, they're not as big as us, and sure, they're not as broad as us, and sure, they don't have you know um, as mixed mixed uh, income as us, right? But they've been able to build something that we can spend our time um, creating as well. We can actually build a childcare system if the political will is there, right? I, I again, I, like I said before, I hope that with the upcoming crises, especially in the labor force, that the political will will be there to build a system. We build the Department of Homeland Security like that, right, right in response. We put in the Patriot Act and we were able to build these incredible systems to keep ourselves safe in a very short amount of time at scale. I think we can do the same thing for our children if the will is there. And I think, I hope that the will be, will be there soon. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful. I mean, this is what Bessie Stevenson said, sorry, about, about high school. Like, the United States was the first one to offer free high school. Uh, people thought we were crazy, but it worked. Yeah. Sam, what I was going to say is is something you hit upon is is interesting to me. You talk about Social Security. Wouldn't you say part of the reason Social Security keeps surviving and continues to be something that is funded is because of the collective group of senior individuals that work together as a community in order to advocate and fight for it? So you look at parents, and a lot of parents are prone to say, that, you know, like, look, it's an individual game. I take care of my kids. I have it figured out, right? Like, and parents look at each other and they're like, great, you take care of your own, right? You chose to have kids, right? Single people will say that a lot of times to me. Parents say that a lot of times <laughs> to me. So it's a, it's a, the choice of the matter, right? You don't choose to age, right? You must age. You choose to be a parent in a lot of communities and circles. So I look at that and go, why should the government fund this? Why should this be something that is actually needs to happen? And it's always been an existential crisis that has forced these moments, as you pointed out before, right? Like Homeland Security was a result of an existential crisis to our country. What, you know, I, I look at this crisis and I go, doesn't this continue to revert back to, again, individual responsibility? Like that, a lot of people have that sentiment. What do you say to that? Well, you know, I think you're right in the sense that there is some personal responsibility that comes with being a parent. If you want to have a child, then you should find a way to pay for things and pay for pay for things and such, right? Um, but we are legally and in some parts fiduciarily responsible for raising our children that are in ways that are beyond our control. I can't say just one day, listen, I've had enough, this, this gets too expensive. I'm done. I'm done parenting now. Goodbye, right? They throw me in jail. Right? So I am legally tied to this wonderful little human. And in being legally tied to this wonderful human, I have to incur some costs to take care of them. I wouldn't be on this podcast if childcare was like a cell phone bill, right? If it were a regular expense. But from what I've seen just in the past few years, right, just my personal experience, and then from, again, what 35% of Americans see, right, a little more than a third of us, our lives are entirely disrupted by childcare, right? So you take something that was a personal choice, but now collectively, right, the workforce is disrupted, work life is disrupted, your home life is disrupted, schools are disrupted. It disrupts all these different arenas that are far, far beyond the control of my personal responsibility. And so I view childcare as a public health issue, right? Not only as an economic issue, but also as a public health issue. There are so many public health issues that we handle in America that are, so you can argue, a matter of personal choice, right? A lot of folks receive subsidized healthcare. A lot of people receive, we, we drive on roads. We have so many things that we uh, get as a result 
of personal choices that have been expanded for the public good. Childcare is a public good. It doesn't stop just at, oh, I made a decision and now I have to go for it. Childcare, the ability to take care of our children and produce, right, for our children and for society is a public good that needs a budget line item. And there are two sort of thoughts about speaking to folks on the right side of the aisle in that kind of it's a public good language that that I think have some potential. The first is I've done research about the extent to which public officials understand like the brain science of children ages zero to three and just how unbelievably important it is to make sure that children are getting adequate care, stimulation, nutrition, all of that at those ages. Because if you make investments there you are saving yourself all sorts of downstream heartache and to be really clinical and like, num- you know, numbers focused about it, all sorts of sort of negative expenses that you have to pay down the road if a child is unable to just access like nurturing care um, early on. So like, that's piece number one. If you're talking to somebody who only wants to talk in terms of numbers, that's a that's a numbers argument that I have seen work. But the other one is, and this is an argument that has sort of bubbled around in right of center circles for a while, is anxiety about how more and more people in the United States are opting out of parenthood entirely and just are looking at it and thinking this is too expensive, this is too challenging, this is not aligned with my lifestyle choices, I'm not interested. And if you have fewer and fewer children, then you have fewer and fewer workers down the road to sort of keep those things like Social Security afloat. So there's a great book by a writer named Jonathan Last. He writes for The Bulwark, which is kind of a like never Trumpy right of center uh website. And his book is called What to Expect When No One's Expecting. And it's what happens when in a country people have all just kind of opted out of of child rearing because it's too expensive, it's too onerous, whatever. And the the downstream effects are terrible on the whole society. So even if you have chosen, look, having kids isn't for me, you still benefit from a society where there is a next generation um, that is coming along like that, that you do have some benefit there. And so while that's maybe not the most compelling argument to all segments of the right, like the idea that childcare is not just an individual choice, but does have some collective, like there are collective impacts is something that there are pieces of the conservative movement, I think are very gung ho about. So can I, so thinking about that, like, we have an election coming up. I feel like every week, everyone, you know, one week it's like the Democrats are going to win. And I guess this week it's the Republicans are going to win. I'd love to hear from both of you, like, Kristen, for you, if the Republicans win, do you think they'll do anything on these issues? And San, if you think that the Democrats win, are they going to do anything on these issues? So for the Republican side, I think a big issue is that even if Republicans take the House and even if they get the Senate, it'll still be by less than a sort of filibuster proof majority. They have not really expressed a great deal of interest in, uh, you know, getting rid of the filibuster. And so I, that's a long way of saying I don't expect a lot of anything to really happen. Um, you know, you had the the Republicans from the House put out what they called the commitment to America, which is supposed to be, hey, if we wind up taking the House, here are the types of bills we're going to pass. They're not necessarily of the mind that they are ever going to be signed into law by uh, a President Biden. It's a little bit different than like in 1994, the contract with America that Republicans put forward. There was an, an idea that a President Bill Clinton might sign some of it. I'm not entirely convinced that Republicans believe um 
that it's going to wind up getting uh, signed into law. But when I look through this commitment to America, I don't really see child care jumping out. I do see, um, you know, school choice as a thing. But again, that's more focused on K through 12. So unfortunately, I don't think that it is going to necessarily be a priority of a Republican House, except insofar as it is something that is a big rising cost of living. And if Republicans are claiming they're going to lower cost of living, making sure that this is part of the conversation, I think, is is the best bet. I agree with you. I don't see, um, you know, I see a handful of the same handful of Democrats really, you know, pushing um, child care forward and pushing for the expansion of the of the block grant and pitching for increased state subsidies and so on and so forth. But I don't see it being a major violation. What I do see happening, though, uh, is an opening. I see, um, I used to be a labor lobbyist, right? I see major labor issues coming down the pike for the United States of America, major. Right. Um, and I see child care and the expansion of child care and the funding of child care as a major thing that all folks are going to have to take on, regardless of their political affiliation. I also see a pushback coming down the pike. Um, right now, there's a trend that's happening that child care you know, in D.C. child care providers have to have a college degree. Um, uh, I see that being rolled back. Um, I also see, um, hopefully, the unsunsetting of the child tax credit that was increased in the last year and during the pandemic and, and has since sunset. I see that also increasing, which is an indirect way of um, increasing child care. Um, what I do hope, right, I do hope that folks do come together right, and put some real money behind um, public investment in child care. And I don't think that uh, it'll be an avoidable issue for either party. I'm in a unique position where I get to say, I hope both of you are right, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> the outcome here yeah. is, you know, the, the the consistency of the conversation is the 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 structure is broken and we need to help families right and that is the through line I hear on both sides of the aisle in what we talk about here not only in this arena but even in my own personal life what's what I want to also hit upon is you know the the guidelines are to spend seven percent of a household income on child care. And right now, through our cost of care survey, we do it every year where we, we survey you know thousands of families to understand what's happening in the American lives and the shared wallet. Families are spending upwards of 20% of their household income. It's not sustainable. You know, you, both of you talk about how, you know, you want to be able to cut costs for families, right? This is one of those items that could be done with such grace, and I won't say relative ease, but I will say it has such a profound impact on the bottom line of the family. And I really do hope that we can collectively find a solution there because it's just not tenable no. in terms of the 20%. And th- this conversation gave me hope. Like there's not a lot of yeah. contention here, right? I think that there's actually a lot of consensus and clarity. I think it's just about how do we get there? And I think like anything... I guess that takes a compromise, right, on what is the right way to kind of make this happen. But I I do think from both the conversation today and their conversation with Betsy, my takeaway is also, though, we do have to galvanize parents to really put pressure on politicians on both sides of the aisles to make this a priority uh, if we're ever going to really get it done. Truly an apolitical situation. Like, I'm with you, Reshma. Like, we need to galvanize parties right, left 
center, undecided, just turning 18. I don't care who you are. Everything. Right? It's, it's very, unpar- it's not a partisan issue. Like, I, I think it's maybe a, parent, a partisan parents. solution. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely. Well, thank you guys so much for, for, for having this conversation with us. I, I feel like we learned so much and I'm so grateful. I know you're both moms, both busy moms. Kristen's a new mom. So, uh, which is so beautiful. Uh, but we really appreciate your time. Incredible conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Bye. Thanks. Bye.